Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Dylan Johnson, and now you're listening to our discussion on the second half of the final season of Avatar The Last Airbender. We hope you enjoy. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Now we're on season three, episode twelve, Western Air Temple. This is the the coming back after a year or half a year. What was it? Yeah, was that it hiatus. Year? That I don't big think hiatus. It was a year. It was like eight months though. Yeah, it like was that. close. It was somewhere between. The hiatus is the big comeback, and this is when they showed this to the end. They showed an episode each day. The countdown for a to whole the week. comet. It was beautiful. The countdown to the comet. Yeah. Yeah, amazing that they did one episode every day for a week is just phenomenal. But this is the big episode where we have Zuko. He's trying to rejoin the gang as the whole premise of the episode, or to join the gang as the whole premise of the episode. He's trying to convince him that he's a good guy. We get the, uh, hey, Zuko here kind of moment, which is fantastic. <laughs> so cute. Um, we get the climax to Combustion Man. We get a lot of things this episode. But I love that Toph is the one who's being rational. Because Toph was not there in season one when Zuko is the big baddie for the season, other than Zhao, who is like the actual big baddie. But, but Zuko is the quote-unquote antagonist to Aang's protagonist for the season. And so Toph completely misses that. And she her only interaction with Zuko was a couple of instances where they met in season two and her interaction with Iroh, who just talked about how great Zuko is. So she's more or less a lot more partial to Zuko as a person. And she understands that Zuko could very easily be the person to teach Aang firebending. They need somebody to do it. And Zuko can be that guy. And so I like that Toph is the one who's making that bridge and making that connection to Zuko. And then I just feel so bad when her feet get burned. I know. Because that's just taking her eyesight from her. She can't see anything now. Her feet, her feet are her eyes and they're gone. And so she's just like crawling her way back to the gang. Just literally physically crawling it's just so sad is fire is just so destructive and i guess zuko is just still in that mentality at this point that fire because he still is has frustration within him he's frustrated that he can't be part of the gang he's frustrated that they still have these hang-ups about him that are completely rational hang-ups and he wants to just kind of he, he wants to show them that he's a he has changed that he's a good person that he's taken his uncle's advice and become a new person that could help them and that it, he believes it's his destiny to help ang overcome his father and it's just so hard for him to deal with to just it's just so frustrating for him i feel so bad why am i so bad at being good yeah that whole lot. thing it, it's amazing and i like the way that we do see him get rejected outright by the gang initially where mm -hmm. Sokka and Katara obviously are like, look, look, they do callbacks to all the ways that Zuko tried to capture them um, and all the bad things he's done to them. Aang, I like how initially he was sort of the most charitable to Zuko and was actually considering it. 
But given Sokka and Katara's hangups, he was like, no, we're not going to let you join. And then he is like, okay, if you're not going to accept me in your group, take me as your prisoner. Uh, but then he gets straight up splashed by Katara. So he gets flat out rejected. And that could have been an excuse for him to get really angry again, um, lash out at them, revert back to his old way, something like that. But he doesn't. He still is completely committed to being this new person. Right? He has past the threshold and he's going to do whatever it takes in order to to join them to let them know that he wants to truly help them and that's why it's so sad when Toph goes out there and we're like oh Toph is being rational wants to have Zuko come help them she's going there but it's the middle of the night he's sleeping he's still thinking I mean he's still just in that like war mode so he thinks he's getting attacked and he burns Toph accidentally, and it's so sad. So sad. But later on, he is able to show the the team that he is on their side by going out of his way to stop Combustion Man and being like, please. Oh, that was a funny thing, too, when he was like, I hired Combustion Man, and they're like, you did what? Like, my man could have left that off, didn't need to say it. But that was a great setup to let them know, okay, when Zuko's trying to stop Combustion Man, I mean, clearly, he is no longer on that person's side. Um, and then Sokka straight destroys Combustion Man with, with the, the boomerang thing. Perfect, perfect. Then. Yeah, <laughs> absolute bullseye. Uh, so that was great. And then that lets Zuko come in. And now they're they're like, okay, we, we know that you truly do want to do right by us, but they're still not fully convinced. But it's when Zuko is apologizing about accidentally injuring Toph and he realizes that it he was in the wrong like it was definitely an unfortunate situation, but he is accepting blame and saying, I was in the wrong for very rashly quickly sending the flames out there. I wasn't controlled with my firebending when I know that that can hurt people. I need to do better in that regard, mm-hmm. which of course connects with Aang who has experienced that ex- same thing where he unintentionally hurt somebody he very much cared for because he wasn't being controlled with his fire. And so he recognizes, okay, this is the mentality that I need in a firebending teacher. But he doesn't immediately say, all right, Zuko, you're on, you're part of the gang. He goes to Katara and Toph and Sokka and asks them individually, are you okay with it? Because if you're not okay with it, then we're turning this kid away, which I think is beautiful. I love the relationship um, and the way that this is so emblematic of how caring Aang is and how much he cares for his mm-hmm. his friends, that he, he really wants to make sure that they're comfortable uh, going forward with Zuko. And if they're not, he's not going to let that happen. He's not going to put them in that sort of situation, even though it would benefit his personal goal of learning firebending and being able to take down the Fire Lord. So I just Mm -hmm. loved those character moments and the dynamics. I think it's really, really well written. I liked as a secondary story that they kind of tease a little bit that I wish they capitalized a bit more on in this episode. In the beginning, Aang is very hesitant to be serious about coming up with a plan, coming up with a new course of action. He's very hesitant to do any of that. He's very much uh, wanting to go play with the other kids that aren't part of the gang gang. He wants to go play with them in the The gang gang. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't raise your eyebrows at me. He wants to go play with the other kids that aren't part of the gang. And instead of sitting down, actually forming a plan with everybody else, he's very much trying to just be playful again. And I feel wish they had capitalized more on that 
desire to not be serious because he's just so it's just so scarring for him to to lose yet again and so he just is trying to ignore it and try and be playful and i wish they had done more with that gotcha and then one other crucial aspect of this episode at the very end is we see after katara's like oh we'll do what you think is right ang so she doesn't really give her blessing she comes up to zuko and tells him if you do anything to make me think that you are not actually changed that you haven't actually transformed if you do anything to make me suspect that you may hurt ang i will destroy you essentially in yeah in as concise a way as i can say also the way that she like flips the destiny stuff on him is like you don't need to worry about your destiny anymore because it'll be finished permanently you might have everyone else here buying your transformation but you and i both know you've struggled with doing the right thing in the past so let me tell you something right now you make one step backward one slip up give me one reason to think you might hurt ang and you won't have to worry about your destiny anymore because I'll make sure your destiny ends right then and there, permanently. Well, that was really? great stuff. So I love the way that we're, again, Katara is so compassionate, but if you betray her, then she holds a grudge. We saw that with Jet. We see this with Zuko. I really love that side of her. And then we, of course, see the worst part of it come out in a later episode this season. But I really love the way they established this dynamic here. And it's one of the subplots that unfolds over the next few episodes is Katara being really cold to Zuko, whereas everyone else gradually is really accepting of them. Mm -hmm. Now, after this episode, we get a great series of episodes where it's just individual people going on adventures with Zuko. I love it so, just so much. It's, it's so just beautiful. just so that we could have them have their own stories and their own way of own, like opening up to Zuko and embracing him into their group. And unfortunately, Toph gets the short end of that stick because she already kind of opens up to him, so she doesn't really get her own adventure. A little bit. We'll, we'll talk right. about that later. It's but very the brief, first but person, that is sad. The first person to get a little adventure, and the most important person who should open up as quickly as possible is Aang, of course. Aang needs to be as receptive to Zuko as possible so we can establish that relationship and establish a good uh, trainer, master, trainee sort of relationship between the two of them and so that we can establish the fact that Aang does learn firebending at some point because this whole season, he has not learned firebending at all at any right. point. And it's supposed to be the fire season and he's supposed to have good knowledge of all of it by the time he provides the fire Lord. And so they need to establish that relationship so that we can get the sense that for the rest of the season up until the very end, he's hypothetically training in the background with Zuko and they are in good terms. So we get that with season three, episode 13, the firebending masters. It's just beautiful. It's, it's just, so good. This is another so one incredible. that 100% Stuck always in stayed in my mind yeah. from the day I saw it. It's just incredible. And I love it for a lot of the character stuff they do, but so much world building here as well, especially related to firebending. Not only do we get more of the dragon lore uh, in seeing how they were hunted out of existence, or so we thought, because Sozin sort of made it a signifier of prestige. We see... We are initially given an idea of Uncle Iroh's complicated past, where he was the final Dragon Slayer. Um, Which is such a cool title. 
right? Slayer of the Last Dragon. So good. The Dragon of the West slayed the Last Dragon. Incredible. Um, so we get that dragon lore there, which of course is great setup for what comes at the end of the episode. We learn more about because they share that the fire or that the dragons are the original firebenders, which of course we've learned over the course of the series what the original benders were for each element. Um, Toph confirms that she learned her earthbending from those original earthbenders from the moles. Um, so that was amazing. The badger moles. Um, the sun warrior civilization that we learned about. So we learned that's this ancient fire nation civilization that fought, fell way before Aang was even alive. Um, and so we see, again, how that was like the ancient primordial version of the fire nation. We see that their architecture is derived from the sun warrior civilization. But as we see, some of the cultural elements have been lost over time, namely the dancing. So we mm -hmm. see the dancing dragons as an ancient form of firebending, which of course, current day Fire Nation completely oppresses dancing. The connection there probably isn't that they hate dancing so much, but it's more of just that they're, their firebending is fueled by hate and rage, right? Whereas the dancing is more emblematic of a firebending based out of life and creation, mm -hmm. which is what fire also is. So we get that nice duality of fire, which I think is really beautiful. And it, the other thing about this episode with the characters is this is another, I think, in the line of the Aang and Zuko parallels. But finally, they're at a place where they're on the path together. Like their paths have merged. And now they are trying to learn firebending together, even though Zuko is mm -hmm. supposed to be the, the master. Because he's no longer fueled by rage, his firebending has diminished. Aang is fearful of firebending because of the whole Katara thing, so he's still timid with it. Um, and we know that he, like, firebending has to come from rage and hate. Like, that's not going to be what allows him to, to learn that bending. So they both need to get this new grasp on firebending that comes from a better philosophy. And I think it's beautiful that they both end up exploring that. And then the dynamics they have throughout the episode is really great. Um, Aang being sort of a goofball, but then also at times being, again, slightly timid and wanting to like turn back. Whereas Zuko is slightly more confident when he's encountering those booby trap things. Um, but then he's also kind of stuck up and self-conscious, doesn't want to do the dancing, even though it's literally mm -hmm. just Aang and Zuko there. He's like, oh, I don't want to dance. Um, we also see. I Zuko. do love the thing where Aang grabs him and he goes, Zuko, dance with me. And Zuko's like, What? <laughs> he goes, like, oh, What? And he's like, Just do it. Come on. They want us to dance. Um, did you like the thing I put in the, the script? The dragons just want to dance with somebody. They want to feel, feel the heat with somebody. somebody. That I think is also a beautiful moment. Like we see, again, they're dueling sort of personalities. Uh, but they sort of click in a way, like when Zuko's and him are going up with the flames in their hand, Zuko affirms Aang, let's know, like you're a Tonka kid, you can do this, I believe in you, which is so nice. Um, and then when Aang and Zuko are at the top, and they're about to, well, before they go to the top, Zuko's like, yo, we can take whoever these firebending masters are. And then when they're at the top and realize it's dragons, Aang's like, you still think we can take them? And Zuko's like, Bro, I didn't hilarious. say that. <laughs> like, that's just great. <laughs> he goes, stop. Um, so that's beautiful. But then, 
and again, this is really about the writing and world building, but the animation of uh, of this, them doing the movements, and then you see the dragons doing the same right exact movements. It, oh, it's beautiful. It, that's fantastic. And then when they do the judgment of them, mm-hmm. and then they just blast their, uh, just fire breathe, and then it turns into this big fire cyclone of a bunch of multi-colored, just, it's amazing. It's vibrant. Yeah. It's incredible. It's awe-inspiring. Beautiful. You just love it. Like that image in particular stuck with me so much that like the dragon thing, um, the sun warrior culture is like, I remember for a reason that dude that pops up, uh, and says, Hey, what do y'all do? And you try to steal the egg. Um, and then this moment when they're in that fire cyclone, so Mm. amazing, just a beautiful episode and great in terms of the world building Mm. and in the character development Mm. where Zuko is now able to firebend because he has that new philosophy Aang able to firebend. It's amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. I love, and I love at the end when you learn that Iroh also experienced the exact same thing and did not kill whatever dragons were left. And that, that definitely just that feeling of knowing that that impacted him as a person and that he also has that philosophy too, because he also had that experience is just beautiful. And no wonder he's such a positive and amazing person for a fire nation Royal, like, cause he's had, he's traveled the world and he's had these experiences and he, learns from what is around him i think it's just absolutely beautiful i think you touched on everything pretty well that i wanted to talk about about how amazing this episode is except that i just i love how they have created yet another civilization that is distinct from all the other ones in that it is based on aztec culture rather than uh, in mayan culture rather than any other asian countries or any other things like that they've they've tapped into another uh, design based on a real world civilization, and I think that is incredible. All right, now we are on to our next episode, episodes fourteen and fifteen. We're gonna merge them together because it is the Boiling Rock, which is Sokka's big episode to go with Zuko on a little adventure. I love these episodes too. I yes. love everything they do. I just. It's it's just bangers from here on out, absolutely. <laughs> but th- these these two combined, these two are burned into my memory. That's the what entire I'm Boiling Rock episodes 100%. are burned into my memory. I remember, dude. I remember watching when I watched the show. I did not realize Hakoda was in it as much as he was because, mm-hmm. like, I had just forgotten. Uh, so when I was a kid and I see Hakoda stepping out of the thing at the end of the first episode of this two-parter, I just, I thought that was the first time we met him. <laughs> I was right. like, I was like, finally season three, he shows up. They finally found him. Like I just totally, I think looking back, I think I watched season three first. What? <laughs> I, I, looking <laughs> back on it, I didn't, I like, I didn't see the finale, but I watched most of season three first. Because I remember the puppet master and I remember the painted lady so vividly. And then I think I saw the second season next. And then I watched like I watched the whole show backwards. To be fair, but, I don't think I ever saw the pilot episode in my first watch through. I can't yeah. remember if I actually did or not. But um, I was so young that most of this escaped my memory, to be fair. So when I watched the series again start to finish, like a couple years ago, I was able to have the nostalgia of seeing things that I recognize without any spoilers and ruining anything for me, which mm-hmm. I think is great. But this episode, 
burned in my brain, burned in my mind, start to finish. I love everything about this. I love seeing Sokka being self-conscious about his abilities of getting his father, his, his desire to get his father out because he is uh, upset that he it's his fault. He blames himself and his desire to get his father out at no matter what, regardless of the consequences. And he's willing to risk everything and anything to get his father out because he blames himself and he's feeling insecure. And Zuko is willing to help him out because I mean, he knows fire nation, everything like he is the prince of the fire nation. He knows where he'll most likely be. He'll know everything, uh, how to do everything. I think that's fantastic. I love the two of them pretending to be guards, trying to blend in. I love all the prison fights they start. I love the whole prison complex of like, these are a combination of fire nation baddies and also other people, but mostly fire nation people just everything start to finish is just absolutely incredible. We have, I just, there's just so much I'm getting overwhelmed. <laughs> just thinking about it. Just like remembering everything that happens in this episode. I gotta, I gotta start, start to finish. Okay. Sokka. He is upset about his father being taken. He wants to get it back. He goes on this mastermind plan. He he comes up with this idea of this genius idea of taking the coolers that they have and just pushing them out and using that as a boat to cross the ravine. He's going to escape with Suki because he can't find his father and he's upset. And the whole first episode is building up to that idea of they're trying to escape with Suki and who knows what part two might be. There's no indication of what it might be until the very end. And I love the scene where Sokka reconnects with Suki when she, when she kicks him in the gut. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then they passionately make up with each other. And then I love that that whole situation sets up Zuko getting found out and, and put in prison himself as the prince of the Fire Nation because the warden is May's uncle. I think that's really funny. That I think is, that's yeah. absolutely I think I like the setup of uh Chitsang as being the guy who likes is trying to escape and he 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 wants to escape and the warden we had that setup of the warden saying, I would rather drop myself into the boiling water than ruin my record. It's mm-hmm. a great setup for the next mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> but Chitsang is a great character. Uh I love the scene where he's like, they're just in the the boat and he's just getting, he's just sweating so much and it's so hot. And he just paddles once, just <laughs> once and it splashes him. And he just screams as loud as he can. I think that's hilarious. Uh, it's just also incredible. I think the, the first episode does a really good job of setting up everything that happens in the second episode. Because the whole first episode is getting us used to the setting of the prison getting used to the hierarchical environment that is set up within this prison system, getting us used to all the new characters, Chitsang, the warden, uh, and everyone in between, uh, Chitsang's gang and all that stuff. Uh, I like the setup of Sokka trying to plan things out very loosely rather than planning all the way through. He's just kind of trying to do things like as he goes rather than doing what he usually does, which is planning ahead a lot. Because he's mad because he said, you know, last time I planned ahead, we lost. And that like had an impact on him. So he's like, this time I'm just going to play it by ear, see what happens. And I think my favorite part of the first episode is that end where he's he chooses yet again to stay and to risk Zuko and Suki so that he can wait for his father to see if he's there. And he might not even be there. And he's sitting there and he's waiting. And then finally you get that relief. You see Hakoda walk out 
and you're like, yes, it was worth it. It was finally worth it. Right. I think, it's, that's a, I think it is crucial, though, when Sokka, at the end of the first episode, well, right before then, he was talking with Zuko in the cooler because they overhear, which, by the way, the cooler thing is interesting because we see Zuko's, yeah. like, his fire breath able to keep him warm in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a nice little callback. We also, we overhear when they're in that cooler talking that new prisoners are coming through. And so he's like, oh, this could be Dakota. But Sokka's like, can I really risk Sunki's freedom for a chance at my father maybe being here? Yeah. And so he ultimately decides, no, we're going to continue with the plan. And then when they're right about to go jump in the cooler and then go across the boiling lake, he's like, I can't. I have to stay behind. And Suki and Zuko both are like, you're not going to do this alone. We're going to do it with you. So I mm-hmm. thought that was beautiful um, that Sokka initially was like, all right, we're going to just go ahead with the escape plan. But when he realized he couldn't, he himself is like, I'm going to stay behind. And then Suki and Zuko both were like, we got you. We're going to help out. And then Chitsang says, he said, he said, <laughs> he says perfectly, not me, I'm out. Peace. And then hops <laughs> in the cooler and goes. It's fantastic. I love Chitsang as a character, even though he's only in these two episodes. I, think I it's know. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, and then so in episode two, which I really do see this, I mean, of all the two-parters, this is definitely the one that like are really feel inseparable because they also, I think, just named it Boiling Rock Part 1, Part 2. Yeah. Whereas all the other two-parters have like their own little subtitle to it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Part 2, definitely a continuation of this first part here. And what's interesting is we get May and Azula and Ty Lee in the mix now. That was a great little reveal. Uh, we see... With May in particular, we see how hurt she was by Zuko leaving. So we get a follow-up on him leaving the letter. Um, and she talks about how you shouldn't have left me. This is terrible. Zuko tries to justify it by saying his destiny is to go and help the Avatar. It wasn't about her. And of course, she's like, oh, that's what every girl wants to hear. Um, that's really helping me out. Zuko, what I think is interesting here is May drops a line of something like, you are being a traitor or you're betraying your nation, something like that. And Zuko's like, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to save it. I'm trying to help it. So I think that is an interesting little rift in the ideologies they have right now um, as their loyalties to their nation. And we see later on how some loyalties can rise above the loyalty to the nation. So that's really interesting with Hakoda, who of course is now, at the prison in this episode, I think what is interesting about his character is he's very stubborn and very prideful when he comes into contact with the warden who is obnoxiously trying to instill fear in all the prisoners. He has them lined up and Hakoda is intentionally not looking at the warden, which upsets him since it is not a form of submission or it's a form of defiance. So warden is going and talking down to him. Hakoda deliberately trips him um which is a very risky thing but i think it's interesting to just show the spirit of this chief warrior of the southern tribe who even when he's in prison here and just invaded the fire nation and it is really risky to be doing this to the warden he's still resisting in his own way and fighting back in his own way which i thought was interesting he also takes on the the mastermind strategist role in this episode uh, he's the one that comes up with the plan about escaping on the gondola by taking the warden prisoner. Um, since Jeez. we, yeah, since we know that 
if it was anyone else they took prisoner, oh, they'll just cut the line. But the warden, all those workers there, all the prison guards, they're not going to do that. So that was a genius little thing. Um, but the real meat of the episode comes at the end with first a beautifully animated, beautifully written battle between uh, Zula and Ty Lee and all the people trying to escape, Zuko, Hakoda, um, Suki, and Chitsang, which by the way, Suki, no bending powers at all, but she's an absolute beast. The way that she took Snatched out all up the warden, guards, bro. Yes, and then just real quick the warden. That was beautiful. And I love when she when she hopped up and was just jumping on all their heads to get to the like through the riot to get mm-hmm. to the tower is just brilliant. Like I was sitting, I was sitting watching this next to Alexa, and I was like, "See, see, this is why I like Suki." Right? I was like pointing. I was like, "Look at her bounce in the heads; it's incredible." Yeah, that was amazing. I love when all the all the rest of them show up and they're breathing really hard, and Hakoda's like, "That is some girl." And, Sokka's like, I know, right? That's just beautiful. Um, and then, so they're now in the gondola. They have the warden. They're currently escaping. And then we see Azula freaking fly at them with her rocket launching, using her fist behind her just to propel herself up there, which is so terrifying. Cool. Could you imagine that in real life? I mean, that would be, oh, I'd be so scary. Absolutely terrifying. Um, and so she's there fighting them. That's a great fight. We get to see Zuko utilizing some of the dancing dragon techniques we see that he's and we see this a lot more in the last second kai that we'll get to but we see that his his firebending has changed the way he does it mm-hmm. has definitely changed um so that's really cool there and then oh it was just such a good final few minutes when the warden mm-hmm. frees himself and says cut the line to the unexpected oh. to me unexpected i when I, whenever you watch this thing, I always expect the warden to be the like. I thought the setup would be he's a wimp, and like of course he's not going to actually cut the line if he's on it. He's just saying that to intimidate the prisoners. But when he backs that up in reality, like props to the warden, bro. He that, sticks by his word. He's, he's hardcore. Yeah, at least he's respect, a man of his word. Mad respect. But that was just as you said that setup of I care more about this record than I do my own life. I'd rather it's fantastic boil in the lake than let people escape. That man really, really did that. So once that happens, Azula and Tyler are like, all right, time to bounce. Which I also think is crazy that Azula was going to let the gondola get cut and have her brother and her friend's uncle. Like literally May's uncle, the warden, is on that gondola and she's about to let it drop. Like she could have saved, she could have gone out of her way to try to save the warden. She just didn't. She just leaves. Um, So that I think is a little crazy. And then what we see is so beautiful. May. I love, yeah, I just love this whole sequence of May stepping up and she has that line where she says, oh. Uh, oh. she says, saving the jerk who dumped me. You yeah, know, it's just, such a banger line, dude. Absolutely so incredible. I love seeing just how powerful she is just with a couple of knives. She stops all of these guards who are firebenders for the most part and stops them dead in their tracks. With just a couple of throwing knives. And then she lets them go. And then just that standoff between her and Azula. Where Azula is just so confused about why May would betray her. She's just so challenged by this. And she takes that and she puts that into physical rage. And this to me is the beginning of her descent. Is mm-hmm. this scene here where she really just commits to 
I'm gonna kill you, May. Like she just is about to shoot lightning at her, and Ty Lee just chooses May over Azula, and and she blocks Azula, and has and Azula has them both thrown into prison. And I just love that now Azula has her last her last connection to humanity, where her brother and her two friends, and now her brother's on the opposite team, and now she's thrown her two friends into prison. That is the beginning of her descent, because now she's completely alone emotionally. She has nobody else she can rely on for her mental health. And now that can really start to take form in the true evil that it is and take the decline that it does in the last series of episodes of the Sozin's Comet. And I just think that's so sad for her that that's how it all played out, that she really took it so personally that May would betray her and save Zuko's life. She would really take it that personally. And I love that so much. Right. Well, I think that's indicative of the larger philosophy or just psychology that Azula is operating from. Of course. Which is, I mean, as we see time and time again, it's it's fear. Yes. The the line that May drops specifically to Azula, I love Zuko more than I fear you. And we see how that just really messes something up in Azula. She goes, You should have feared me more, tries to strike her down, gets cheap blocked by Tylee, who chose friends over fear. That was amazing. The shock Azula had when she's falling to the ground completely powerless um and then mm-hmm. just the absolute seething anger she has when she's picked up by the guards which certainly was humiliating for her since i mean power is the whole game really and she looked extremely weak there but then she was also betrayed by these two people who she thought she had under her thumb due to yes. the fear that she inspired uh and that completely unraveled and we can talk about this a bit more when it gets to the sozin's comet but there was, I did watch a video on Azula specifically because since you and I talked in that last episode about her being humanized, I really do think it is great that we had that slightly humanized element in the first half of season three because it makes this downfall so much more tragic. And yeah. she's a tragic character. I will um, give you that. And so I think the dynamic between love and fear in her mind is so twisted because of the way that she was brought up. I mean, we see that um, in the very early flashback episodes, right with Zuko alone when she was essentially happy in a way, or just completely callous about Iroh's loss, like losing his son. And she's like, wow, he crumbled on the battlefield because he lost his son. How weak of him. Things like that. Like she's only processing things in strength, equals power and any sort of emotion or love or compassion mm-hmm. uh, is a weakness that needs to be completely suppressed or destroyed. Like that is the environment that she grew up in. And so it's no wonder that at this stage in her life, the only way that she sees she can interact with people is by controlling them with fear rather than trying to do so through love. And that also has a whole thing. Again, we can get to with Sosa's comic book, the relationship with her mother there. Um, and so it's interesting that that particular phrase, I love Zuko more than I fear you, of somebody saying that like love is more power than fear when Azula is only capable really of operating in fear. Mm-hmm. Like it just cannot process for her that love is something that's more powerful than that and that it's potentially more of a weakness for her. Like she opened herself to weakness, to betrayal by only operating out of fear. And so that, I think that also triggers that downfall she her whole worldview just shattered with these betrayals and that leads to 
everything else that we see. So this is definitely the start of that descent. Such a good episode for so many reasons. Just the prison break episode in Avatar. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Love it. But then seeing this character depth here, some of the most iconic betrayals out there. Uh, that always, again, stuck in my mind forever, the, the betrayal thing. Yeah. So beautiful episode. Again, I think humanizing Azula is the right call. I just feel like the 360 happened too quick. It was my only issue with it. Like they really like try and do that 360 in a matter of like one episode. And it was just a little too fast. But now we have episode 16, the Southern Raiders. This starts off with Azula showing up and she has that at the, at the Western Air Temple and, and just wrecking things up and yet again, splitting the group in half. Yet again, they cannot be together all as one whole unit. It has to be the gang, the main core characters of the gang, and, and Azula is the force that drives them apart. And she has that, that great fight with Zuko, where Zuko chooses to be the one to fight her, and he has to be the one to end it. And she says, you know, I'm about to celebrate becoming an only child. <laughs> so obviously she's going, she's aiming to kill. And the one thing that stood out from that fight to me is is when Azula is falling and Zuko is like, she's not going to make it. And then of course she blasts yet again with her fists of fire and then uses her crown to catch herself on the wall of the Western Air Temple. And Zuko is just like, of course she did. Like, of course she did. Right. I just that, think that's brilliant. Yeah, that was brilliant. And I definitely love the way you're seeing here. She's definitely a bit more, uh, a little bit more on the crazy side right oh, off the yeah. bat. Um, and we see more of her fighting style. Like she had this crazy smile as she was throwing that one fist and then Zuko's throwing the other fist and they collide and that's what sends them off. Um, but she was like relishing in this battle. Whereas in their initial battle, she was completely calculating like emotionless as Zuko was the one who was raging and uh, like had all this emotion behind him as he was throwing those uh, fire blasts. So I think that was a great dichotomy they had there. They sort of reversed it. Um, also, since this is the last time we see the Western Air Temple, we forgot to mention in the Western Air Temple episode, that's such a cool world-building element. It's an yeah. upside-down temple, essentially, it's and it's hidden on the underside of this cliff. It's just so cool. It's yeah. one of it's one of my favorite areas that we visit throughout mm -hmm. the series. I think it's absolutely beautiful, the way they designed that. Be very air element-based. You know, you're in this canyon that has just fog rolling through it, and you're just balancing uh upside down in the world i think that's brilliant beautiful uh, i agree with you fantastic 100 percent. and continuing with southern raiders so this in terms of world building we do get more stuff here we learn about like special fire nation navy units the southern raiders who have their own sort of flag their own sigil and their own special armor type um mm -hmm. for their uniforms so that's interesting we also get details about how Katara's mother Kaya died. It was actually in saying that she was the last Southern waterbender when they came looking for who that was. So she saved her daughter's life. Um, and previously we didn't know that like Katara didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is a whole nother dimension to this loss um, that Katara has experienced. Of course, it's been one of the major cornerstones of her character is her connection with her mother and of course her taking on that motherly role for the group it's just a dynamic that i think has been really built up well throughout the entire series and here in this crescendo she is 
still being called to Zuko. And part of that, which Zuko, Zuko realizes in an incredible display of emotional maturity, he's like, I think the reason she's still mad at me is because she's connecting me with the loss of her mother and the people that took her mother away from her, which of course were these Southern Raiders that attacked the tribe. The first time Katara sees Zuko, he's attacking her home in the Southern Water tribe. So I do think that was a nice way they connected it and how Zuko partially out of wanting him to not be hated by Katara anymore, but then also out of, I think, a genuine desire to give Katara some closure and some growth to move on from what seems like obviously a deep-seated anger that she has. Certainly he is very familiar with that type of anger. Uh, she wants to, he wants to help her let that go. And so I like that he goes out of his way to talk with Sokka and figure out more about their past. Also, some of the funniest stuff in this entire series. The whole 10 sequence? It's so good. It's so amazing. I laughed out loud so much, and I rewound it twice because it was that fun. So good. (laughs) He walks in, his face drops, and you can just see with his legs up and rose in his mouth. So beautiful. Anyway. The man was going to get laid. He was. He probably did. Oh, oh, by the way, the next day when they wake up, Sokka is making a lay. If you pay attention, he's putting flowers on a necklace to make a lay. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. Subtle hints for the adult audience. <laughs> so, subtle hints. Yeah, that was great stuff. Um, and that sandwiched in between the rest of this like really dark episode really for sad these other characters. Moments. Um, so then Zuko is like, Katara, let's go do this. And I like, again, the way they poke fun at what these episodes are, which is everyone going on a field trip with Zuko and brings it up. And then very certainly Katara's just like, yes, it is my time to go on a field trip with Zuko. Um, and so I really, really love why, like this wasn't one of the episodes that really stuck with me besides the very end. I forgot a lot of the setup to it. Yeah. Um, I just remember the ice thing, just because I think that was a cool visual element, but I didn't realize how emotionally impactful it was until the rewatch here and i love the way they have ang give his sort of perspective here which is obviously informed by the monk's teachings and his culture which comes from pacifism and being more spiritual and letting go of violence giving forgiveness he's seeing that guitar is in a lot of pain here and it's a pain that he fully understands because his entire people have been destroyed by the fire nation and so if anyone has the justification to be intensely and just unbridly angry at the fire nation. It's definitely him. So he understands where Katara is coming from here, but he's trying to let her know that this cycle of violence doesn't heal. It's not going to heal her. Yeah. And so he's like, you just gotta let it go. I also like the clash, like where Zuko falls on this, where he's Mm. sort of coming at it from a pragmatic standpoint of like well this is the real world he calls him a goody goody guru that like oh this isn't air temple preschool this the real world operates in us like getting payback getting justice that's Mm -hmm. how zuko's sort of framing it and ang isn't necessarily against like the justice thing but he just realized this is more about vengeance and it's not going to do any favors for katara um also like zuko points out oh, you want to get forgiveness, that's doing nothing. Aang's like, no, it's easy to do nothing. Giving forgiveness is difficult. It's hard. Um, and he lets Katara 
go. I also think that was a great thing where they like have that battle. Guitar is like forgiving isn't just hard. It's impossible. They walk away and then it cuts to night and then she's going towards Appa with Zuko and Aang and Sokka are there and they see that and they go towards them and they're like, so you're just going to steal Appa? And she's like, yep. And he's like, yeah. that's okay. I forgive you. Give you any ideas. See how easy it is. <laughs> like that. I love that little moment. But then also where he, he lets her go, realizes this is something that she needs to do. And his last advice is let your anchor out and then let it go, which I think is just so beautiful. Hang is mm -hmm. such a little kid. Yeah. But he's so wise. So very wise. I think more important to me than Aang's plot development through this was Sokka's, for me at least, emotionally. Just because I feel like Sokka has more uh, relevance to Katara's opinion on this front because it's his mother too. And so like he steps forward and he actually takes Aang's side, which I love. And he's like, you know, Aang might be right in this instance. You know, this is just revenge and this might not be as productive as you think it is. And then... Something to do with built up frustration, like in, in increasing frustration within her, something about that just makes Katara lash out even harsher at Sokka. And she says that like just emotionally devastating line of then you didn't love our mother the way I did. Like, dude, that cuts deep. And Sokka it does, like, man. The it, voice acting for Sokka when he says Katara, like he's just so taken aback. Stunned. And yeah, because that is so outside of Katara's character. He was so compassionate yeah. and understanding. And then she's just so struck with grief right now that she lashes out in that way. Good. And it's stunning to us and to the characters. Like that is, I mean, that's Katara at her worst moments. She is in that way throughout much of this episode. It's mm. tough to see. Poor, poor Sokka. It's just, it's hard. Hurts. Hurts for me to see that happen. Uh, I like Katara's arc throughout the rest of the episode as well, because then she continues her development as she hunts down these raiders and she's just, living out her vengeance and you see the worst parts of her character come out. She blood bends the, the first guy, something that she swore she would never do again. The th guy that she first mistakes for the person who killed her mother, he, she blood bends him almost immediately with no hesitation to get information out of him. And like, just to see that come out of her is horrifying to know that this is what's, I think even Zuko has a realization when he sees this happening where he's like, maybe this isn't productive, but he's not going to stop her. Right. Because he well, has that moment where his eyes like kind of open up wide watching her do this. And he's like, ooh, this is this doesn't look pretty. This doesn't look <laughs> like Katara. This isn't good. Something about this is wrong. It's and true. Just horrifying to see this part of Katara come out. Yeah. She's I think... so powerful and she's so good. And the good sort of counterbalances the, the powerful nature of her and to see the good sort of go away a little bit in this episode is terrifying. That is a great point. If she were evil with all that power, that would be very, very terrifying. Um, but I think that may also be part of what Zuko opens his eyes for and is shocked yeah. about is, wow, there is such an immense power because he doesn't know bloodbending. He was not around for that. So that he just true. sees out of nowhere She's literally controlling this human being. He also doesn't know that it's tethered to the full moon. Maybe he can make that connection, but out of nowhere, he just sees her unleashing this power. And now he knows for sure that that threat she gave him earlier, who she meant it and she could, she could deliver on it. So I think that is also a great moment there where Zuko is like fully understands Katara's power. And that also, I think plays a part in why he chooses her to come help him Case Azula in the end, because he sees her as the most powerful person besides Aang. So that I think is really cool. I also think I 
I, he doesn't end up asking Katara or pushing back on Katara to not follow through with the rest of it, which I think is interesting. I think maybe he does have an understanding that, oh, this is maybe going too far and not too productive, but he never really vocalizes that. He still lets Katara process this and do what she needs to do. Like he was standing by when she was about to send the ice at the real person's way. And he wasn't going to stop. Like he didn't send a fire blast out or say, Katara, stop. Like he was going to sit by and let Katara do what she needs to do. Whether yeah, that true. be forgiving or, well, not forgiving, but uh, sparing the guy or going through and killing with it. But yeah, that brings us to when she faces the true killer of her mother, who's just some old retired guy walking down the street with his groceries. They stop him. Zuko's the one who uh, stops him. And I think it's interesting that he's sort of, he's the mouthpiece for all the initial anger and grief that Katara has. Um, and then when Katara takes over, she's like, do you remember me? And he does. And then she learns the truth. Um, and finding that out again is another testament to the strength that Katara has to not go through this, finding out that in a way, I mean, Kaya, it wasn't just like a random killing that she just happened to die. She died for Katara. Mm -hmm. That has to hit so much harder. And the fact that Katara doesn't end up going through the killing is even more of a testament to the person she wants to be, which is not somebody who's out there bloodbending, controlling people, and just unleashing this power um, viciously. That's not the person she wants to be, and she decides not to be that person, which is beautiful, and I love it. Um, but man, is she so powerful. When she stops the rain. Do you know who I am? No, I'm not sure. Oh, you better remember me like your life depends on it. Why don't you take a closer look? Yes, yes. I remember you now. You're the little water tribe girl. Just let her go and I'll give you the information you want. You heard your mother. Get out of here. I'm scared. Go find your dad, sweetie. I'll handle this. Now tell me, who is it? Who's the waterbender? There are no waterbenders here. The Fire Nation took them all away a long time ago. You're lying. My source says there's one waterbender left in the Southern Water Tribe. We're not leaving until we find the waterbender. If I tell you, do you promise to leave the rest of the village alone? Hmm. It's me. Take me as your prisoner. I'm afraid I'm not taking prisoners today. She lied to you. She was protecting the last waterbender. What? Who? Me! I did a bad thing. I know I did, and you deserve revenge. So why don't you take my mother? That would be fair. I always wondered what kind of person could do such a thing. But now that I see you, I think I understand. There's just nothing inside you. Nothing at all. 
You're pathetic and sad and empty. Please spare me. <laughs> but as much as I hate you, I just can't do it. That is just so cool. It's very cool. It is an incredible display of power. Like talking about show and power, that is fantastic. Uh, and then, of course, the sort of fake out when we see the eye shards going towards him, and then she just lets him know that he's just empty, pathetic. She's not going to compromise who she is, who she wants to be, the person uh, that she values in herself to become a killer for that person. For that pathetic little Weasley man, and so then he tries does, to he tries to get Guitar to kill his mother. Dude, that was like in such a tense scene that is both funny. Like I genuinely laughed, but it was also what a great way to show like what a pathetic schmuck he is as well. He was please take my mother. Like oh, just kill my mother. Don't make us even. Like what a jerk, bro. What a terrible little schmuck. so funny. But I do love this episode for all the things we talked about. I like. When she comes back and Aang expresses how proud he is and he talks about how much he he is grateful that she was able to find those feelings of forgiveness. I love all that stuff. Just Aang just being wise. It's the same thing as I think it was the Day of Black Sun episode where Aang is giving just advice to Sokka and Sokka's like, you know, for a kid, you're really wise. Right. Like he just it's says it. It's just so true. Like he has moments of being just incredibly, incredibly wise, which I love. Yeah, and it's also, this episode is important, I think, for when Katara's getting that praise from Aang, like, oh, I'm so proud that you didn't go through with this and that you forgave. She points out she did not forgive the killer. She's never going to. Um, so I think that was an interesting choice the writers made because it would have been easy to just be like, oh, yeah, everyone's forgiven. But it's more realistic and I think more more true to Katara's character that like there are some things that just are beyond the realm of where she can extend her compassion. And that is one of them um, is the killer of her mother, but she does give forgiveness to Zuko. And so we finally get the resolution on this little yeah. storyline here. She forgives Zuko. They hug. It's beautiful. Aang is still happy about it. Um, she's like, see, nonviolence is the way to go. Non killing is the way to go. And Zuko's like, I got a question for you. What are you going to do when you face my father? And Aang's stunned because he doesn't know what he's going to do. And that obviously plants the seed for what will become a, the central conflict of Aang's arc in the finale. Will he be able to take Ozai's life? It's a good question. And we will learn more about that question now he's facing that question in the next episode, episode 17 the ember island players okay this before, is so funny we this is also one of the ones that are just burned into my brain and i love this trope and it's because of this thing like the trope of characters seeing themselves in a play form i just think is so cool i think it's an amazing way to have the characters reflect on themselves and the events that they have gone through and the growth that they've gone through which is definitely a thing that happens in this episode that's why it's not like pure filler it does move the plot forward, well, the characters forward in a way. And again, it's any filler on Avatar is still an amazing episode. But it's also, I mean, an effective way to do a recap of the show. It's a way to have the writers poke fun at themselves 
which is always amazing. Like it's a lot of meta jokes in here. I'm sure we can touch on, but this episode truly has a special place in my heart. I just love it. It's so fun and lighthearted and warming. It's just beautiful. And I love, love this trope. Like when it shows up in Game of Thrones, when Arya's across the sea and they're like watching how Joffrey dies or something like that. (laughs) I was like, bro, that's just like that Avatar episode. I love this. So this is where my love of that trope began. It's so beautiful. Walk us through it, Dylan. It's absolutely fantastic. I love. I also love just the fact that they're being caricaturized. These versions of themselves that are just exaggerate the their basic elements from when we like first meet them are just exaggerated to the extreme. And there's no character development amongst these <laughs> characters as they go on. It's the same characters throughout the entire play. So and they're just reliving these moments in very very funny ways just absolutely banger comedy moments ang is upset he's being played by a woman he just feels like that's emasculating that like he's upset that the fire nation doesn't take him seriously and that he's he's being portrayed as this child this prankster that he's not he's just very upset by that i think my big Aang moments though are when he's upset at the zutara moments yeah it's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny to watch him get upset at the the cave scene that they have together. Just getting having him like literally walk out of the theater is absolutely hilarious. And then that capitalizes in like during the intermission when he and Katara are talking, and he just tries to kiss her, and she's just like, "I just told you I was confused." Like, it's it's hard to watch for me to see well, that happen. Yeah, it's the first time that they actually talk about the potential for one of them liking the other yeah. where of course ang is upset that yeah katara is shown to be in love with zuko in the play and that mm. he's not getting friend zoned but brother zoned in the worse yeah like oh you're such a you're like my little brother ang so he's very upset about that he goes out there katara goes out to check on him and he's he's like you're in there treating me like a brother you don't have feelings for me i thought when we kissed at the invasion we would end up being together like that's where he was at uh and katara's like i we're in the middle of a war i don't know if i can do that like it just would be too complicated it's not the right time and so like he said he tries to kiss her um and she's like bro no we cannot do this and then he's beating himself up afterwards like oh i just messed it up again um and then he's really down for the rest of the episode so it's another step forward in the relationship, but it's it's a step backward where at this point in time, it's clear that during the war, they're not going to be able to get together. And now it's called into question whether or not they'll get together after the war since Aang got a little overzealous mm-hmm. um, when Katara tried to set those boundaries and say, like, we can't do it during the war. It would be too much. So that, I think, was really critical in this episode. This is one of those moments where, again, them watching the characterized versions of themselves play out the past events of the story is a moment for them to reflect on those moments and it's ang realizing i want to be with katara right now like we should be together in his mind but in the play version that's very much not the case and he doesn't want that to happen in real life but because the actions he takes it's very much more likely now that that won't become a reality so I thought that was a great little subplot arc that they had in this episode. Same thing with Zuko. That was really great because, of course, he's getting played as this 
honor obsessed kid who's very angsty, which is 100% accurate. Um, but he is entirely ashamed at the way that he treated Iroh, the way that they, he goes like, I hate you, you stink. And then Katara's like, you didn't say that, did you? And he's like, I might as well have. Um, yeah. Like he's very much ashamed at, at his actions. And I love the moment when he's getting reassured by Toph. See, this is why I think it's slightly okay. I still would have loved a Toph and Zuko field trip episode, but they they didn't entirely need it because they're never really adversarial. Um, and they also have these sort of moments where like, she's the only one that can impart this sort of this advice and growth to Zuko by letting him know that Iroh, if he knew what Zuko was doing right now, he would be head over heels amazed by it. He would fully see Zuko as redeemed. Like Zuko does not need to continue beating himself up over this. Iroh would be okay with him. He would have forgiven him had he known what Zuko was doing currently. And so I think that's a great little Toph and Zuko moment. Yeah, I think that's absolutely incredible. Uh, I think my favorite part is that they're all upset by their characters, right? They're all upset for different (laughs) reasons. And Katara and Zuko and Aang are specifically upset because it takes the character traits that they're like, they're most upset about, about themselves and just puts it on an exaggerated version. But then you have Sokka who, who likes being the humorous guy. Right. And he's not upset that the character is the, the, comedic relief he's upset that the jokes are bad yeah <laughs> he's upset. He's like these aren't even funny they could be so much funnier and he has like that whole thing where suki gets him backstage and he gives the actor jokes i think that's really funny for his character that that's what he sees when he sees the character he sees a bad jokester rather than just a jokester <laughs> and then Toph, whose character is could could not be farther different than who she actually is but in reality is just like her like it's a big giant guy and she just loves it. She thinks it's completely accurate. She says every time and time again, she's just like, this is exactly how it happened. Right. And yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing in this entire show, the oh. entire show is the seismic scream. Oh, you're blind. <laughs> I can see you doing that. I see everything that you see, except I don't see like you do. I release a sonic wave from my mouth. There, I got a pretty good look at you. <laughs> I died laughing watching this. It is the funniest thing. Oh, I'm so glad that they like win for that. Like they fully win for a lot of the ridiculous stuff, and they have a lot of good like jabs and jokes in there, like with the Great Divide stuff. Like that's a sort of meta joke with Jet dying and Sokka being like, you know, it was really unclear. Yeah, <laughs> like that's a lot of good jabs here, but the fact that. <laughs> He goes, I don't see like you all do. This is how I do it. <laughs> Screams oh. right in the face. I got a pretty good look at you. It's just like, that is top tier humor, man. This show is so, so good. Yeah, it's just absolutely funny. Uh, of course, the episode ends with this big setup for the finale. We have Zuko and he's talking to Aang and he, he brings up this topic again that we talked about in the last episode where Zuko says, where, like we had that thing where we watched Zuko die, like Azula kills Zuko. Like they 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 play out the play to the end of the series in the Fire Nation's eyes, and Zuko dies. Like Azula kills Zuko, and that's like traumatizing for Zuko to see because like it 
potential like that could happen. Mm-hmm. And then of course the Fire Lord kills Aang. And like everybody's cheering and now it's like that also could happen. Like the Fire Lord could kill Aang. That is a potential that they are facing. And it comes all around when Zuko finds Aang back at the, the beach house and he asks him, you know, what are you going to do when you confront my father? Because the whole thing is he's supposed to kill him, but Aang is very conflicted about that. And we see that a lot more in our four-part finale, the big mega four-part finale. So is his comic. The final part of our discussion, which will be focusing on the finale of Avatar Last Airbender, Sozin's Comet, will be on part three of this series. 